This podcast number 806 with Neil Donald Walsh is brought to you by Glenn Aparicio Perry, author of a new book entitled Original Politics, Making America Sacred Again. Please listen to Glenn and Greg as they talk about bringing energies of the past to the present to recreate the whole sacred America. It is a very informative An interesting interview on how Glenn speaks about dedicating the book to Native Americans and seven generations after. If you want to learn more about Glenn and his book, Original Politics, please go to www.originalthinking.us. That's O-R-I-G-I-N-A-L-T-H-I-N-K-I-N-G. US to watch the book trailer. And now for a featured podcast, I hope you enjoy Greg's interview with Neil about his book, The Essential Path, Making the Daring Decision to Be Who You Truly Are. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voisin, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining us from Ashland, Oregon is Neil Donald Walsh, best known for is a best-selling author of Conversations with God series. But he wrote a book last year um, that Bill Gladstone actually handed to me. We both know Bill and said, hey, you ought to check in with Neil and see if you can get him to be on the show. So here he is today. Neil, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing great, Craig. I hope you are too. Thank you for asking me. Well, I am doing wonderful, even in spite of all the stuff that's going on around us. Uh, you have to keep uh, a PMA, positive mental attitude. But this book is called The Essential Path, and it's making the daring decision to be who you truly are. Uh, most of my listeners know you, Neil, but he is the author of 37 books combining modern-day psychology and practical spirituality. His titles have sold in the millions and millions of copies. It's been translated into 35 languages. He can be reached at cwgconnect.com. That's the online platform arising out of the worldwide work surrounding Conversations with God book series. Um, This is a St. Martin's Press book and a great little book. So, Neil, great to have you on the show today. And you start this book off with a picture of our world of being less than perfect, to say the least. And this book was written... Uh, and released last June, uh, a year ago, and obviously since then, a pandemic. And our world problems are everywhere. We look at injustice, poverty, disease, including COVID. You then state that the problem starts with us, that we need to take a hard look uh, at ourselves. For our listeners out there uh, who maybe aren't taking that purview or that view, Um, what would you advise our listeners, uh, or how would you advise the listeners to take this deep look inside? Well, uh, Greg, before I, I'd love to answer that question, but before I do, let me just offer a little personal preamble to, to what we're going to explore. I, the point I, I try to make in the book, and the reason I wrote the book, by the way, because you're right, I've written 37 books. This is number 38. So why would I Why do I keep on writing books? And, and what more is there to say? Except what I noticed uh, in the past year when and that book came out in 
as you pointed out, even before the the uh, pandemic. But what what I was noticing, Greg, uh, is that. Uh, th- there's a huge problem in the world today, and most people don't know what the biggest problem in the world today is. I, I, w- I began, you know, I've done a lot of traveling, and I've, I've talked to an awful lot of people, including some world leaders who've invited me to spend a few moments with them. And I, what I noticed was that every, everyone uh, gets that there's a huge problem in the world, but very few people know what the problem is. They see the outfall. They see the fallout for sure, uh, which which I could put in one word, alienation. I have never, Greg, in my 77 years, seen so much alienation on our planet. Apart and aside from what the pandemic is producing, and apart and aside from uh, the economic fallout from that, but just the alienation in general, people of different political persuasions, people of different uh, sexual orientations, people of different spiritual uh, experiences. It's, it, it almost doesn't matter what our differences are. We are, have been using, that is the largest number of people on the planet, are using those differences to separate us in such a way that it's turning into really a, uh, an energy of alienation. So, you know, when when I invite people to look within, as you mentioned just a moment ago, that the problem is us, you know, I could, I could almost hear people yawning already. Oh, yeah, and look within, Yuri. Another one, another teacher telling us to look within. But it, I think it's a, a little bit more, um, how, how can I put this, uh, a, a little bit more... Um, than that, not not quite as boring as let's all look within. This is a social, economic, uh, philosophical, psychological, and uh, spiritual problem, even a political problem, that that crosses the the whole board of human interaction with each other. Why are we being so alienated? That's the question that no one seems to be answering. We're trying to figure out how to way to we're trying to figure out a way to to you know to to uh, resolve the pandemic we're trying to figure out a way to reopen our our countries and get our economies back on track we're trying to figure out a way to to resolve the social injustices in the world and the racial injustices in the world i don't see anybody greg no pope no archbishop of canterbury no president of any country no prime minister none of the leaders to whom we look for leadership are saying to us in a nationwide or a worldwide telecast, why are we allowing ourselves or what is causing us to be so alienated from each other? Can yeah, I, w- not, can I would not, agree with you. Yeah. I mean, can, well, you could, would you also, Neil, say that the word alienation is also separation? I mean, well, that, 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 of course, is the point of the book. Yes. Yes, the, and the, 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 the book makes the point that what is causing our alienation is the fact that we have as a culture, that is as a society, as a species, frankly, the entire human species in largest numbers have, has bought into a story of separation mm-hmm. that, says that, that says that all life is separate from all other life. Trees are separate from birds. Birds are separate from fish. People are separate from people. 
and 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 even planets are separate from planets. In other words, we have got ourselves convinced that we live in a separation cosmology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, when it's and a oneness. When it's a and oneness that, cosmology, if we, if we that, look at that, the, go ahead, Greg, you go ahead and say what you want to say. So I was going to say is that it is a oneness. In other words, we're trying to bring this unity together. I mean, well, it doesn't, it's not apparent that that's happening. You've already said that and you pointed to all the reasons that it's not, but it's really with inside of us. But to take that deep look at our relationship with a higher spirit, uh, 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 that is helping us along the way is important. What you've been writing conversations with God series for years and talking about this. What's the one thing you would tell our listeners about taking that deep dive? Cause it starts with each and every one of us. I think, uh, the deep dive begins by knowing, uh, our true identity by, by deciding we're going to really, I like your phrase, dive deeply into an exploration of and uh, an answer to the question of who are we really? I mean, as human beings, mm-hmm. who are we really? Greg, uh, every human being uh, on the planet and every sentient being in the universe, obviously there there are sentient beings throughout the cosmos. It's, it's absurd to imagine that the people who live on this one planet of the billions of planets in the, in the cosmos, that we are the only intelligent species in existence. So what we know, however, is that uh, all intelligent species have to make a decision. We have to decide who we are. That is, we have to reflect in deep self-reflection. So to answer your question directly, I invite people to move into maybe once or twice a month. I, I like to do it once or twice a week. I sit down quietly and just reflect, okay, for 10 minutes. It's a 15-minute, 10-minute process. Who am I really mm-hmm. in relationship to all the rest that is? And and let me, let me frame the question a little bit more specifically, Greg, for you. The question that I ask myself is, Am I a physical being, essentially? Am I basically no different from a dolphin or a whale or a bird in the sky or a fish in the sea? More complex, perhaps. Fair enough. Maybe more sophisticated entity. But beyond that, is this is that what I am? A physical specimen, a chemical creature, physical and nothing more. I live, I'm born, I live, I die, and that's the beginning and the end of it. Or... My or spiritual in the, being. In the alternative, <laughs> right. is it possible that uh, I am a spiritual entity having a physical experience? Right. Is it possible that I'm more than just a physical being, but that I am a spiritual entity uh, that lives, always was, always is, and uh, and will be forevermore? Let me just roll out my thought one more sentence, okay. if I might, Greg. Okay. Because if, if we decide, okay, I'm a spiritual entity. I'm not, a, I'm not merely a physical, chemical creature. 
you know, made up of biological elements. Well, I'm actually a, a, a spiritual creature that has a body. If, if we decide that's who we are, and by the way, I'm not arguing for that. I'm not suggesting that that's the answer. I'm just saying if we think that that's who we are, it raises another question. What are we doing here? Why would a spiritual entity decide to physicalize in an environment such as we see here on the planet Earth? And mm -hmm. what is my purpose here? That's a question that I've discovered very few people are asking at a very deep level. My father was a wonderful example. He was a wonderful man. I, I adored him. I looked up to him. He, he passed on when he was 83. Uh, but I don't think, it, I'm not sure that he ever answered the question, you know, who am I and why, why really am I here? What is the point at a spiritual level? What is the point of my existence? Mm -hmm. and, and if I really am a spiritual creature, then why have I physicalized? And, right. uh, and, and I think in the answer to that question, in that answer lies the solution to the world's greatest problem, which is our belief in separation. We believe that, and what what began our belief in separation, Greg, was a, 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 a separation theology. It all began with a separation theology. We have been taught for thousands of years, not a couple of years, not a couple hundred years, not a couple thousand years, but many thousands of years, mm -hmm. we have been taught about a separation theology. That is a theology that says God is over there and we're over here. And never the twain shall meet, except, of course, on Judgment Day. When you die, then you will, as they say, meet your maker. Then you'll have to, you know, account for all the decisions you made that were not in alignment with what your maker demands, requests, commands, and requires in order for you to return to that place that we call paradise or heaven. That's mm -hmm. the theological construction under which... 90% of the world's people who believe in God at all live their lives. And right. the, problem with, the problem with a separation theology is that it produces a separation cosmology that I was talking about a minute ago. And the problem with a separation cosmology, Greg, is that it inevitably produces a separation psychology. That is, individual psychological holdings that says, oh my gosh, I'm all alone here. I mean, when all, when all is said and done, I'm by myself. It's me against the world. Mm -hmm. And the problem with the separation psychology is that it produces a separation sociology. That is, entire societies and groups within societies that imagine themselves to be separate from each other. Political parties, nations, states, religions, all sorts of groups that say we are this and you are that and you're not us and we are not you. And, and we see the differences between us that are dividing us and constantly causing conflict between us. And the problem with a separation uh, a sociology is that it, uh, it ultimately produces a separation pathology, pathological behaviors of self-destruction. I've just described right. the entire human experience in 34 sentences. Well, I, I concur with you, and I'm sure many of our listeners concur. So at its core, um, you know, you talked about that's where you started was alienation. But why do you think we have created this alienation at this particular time seems to be more than usual where it's the me, it's the me versus we viewpoint, um, especially 
when we look at our government uh, and we look at what's happening in, in politics. Um, and it seems to be that that's one great divide. There's, there's divides, uh, everywhere where, where we're looking at injustices, um, on the Black Lives Movement. But, um, it seems to be, have gotten at a very high agitation rate. And I'm not going to blame all of that on COVID. You have any perspective? Yeah. Uh, um, it, by the way, it's not just happening in, in the United States of America. It's all over the world. What you're Correct. describing, you could, you could have, you could have easily been describing a situation in any one of 26 other countries right now. Correct. Where there, where there is a tremendous rebellion against government, uh, and, and against, uh, society in general in all of its permutations, religion, as I mentioned before, and other aspects of our process of living together. Why? Why is it happening right now? <laughs> I agree. It's not just because of COVID, but it is because we are maturing as a species and and we are reaching that critical point where we are saying to ourselves, as we mature as a global species, we're looking at, we've been looking at how life has been here for thousands of years. Forget about COVID. I, I agree with you. Take COVID off the table. We'll talk about that in a minute. But even if COVID wasn't happening, we are looking at, at, at life as it, as it is being presented on the planet. And as we mature, we are saying to ourselves, this can't be the way it was supposed to be. It can't be the best way that we can create life on this planet. Something is desperately wrong here. And so, because we're, we're noticing simple things like, as an example, 1.5 billion people have never had one drop of pure water in their entire lifetime. 2.5 billion people, as we, as we uh, talk here today, do not have indoor plumbing. 1.9 billion people still don't have electricity on this planet. Now, let me give you one final statistic that you might find sad. I'm sure you will find it sad. As we are talking today, 653 children die every hour on this planet of starvation. Of starvation. Right. Every single hour. While we throw away more food in the restaurants of the world than would be needed to feed an entire third world village for a week. Now, as human beings mature, they begin to look at situations like this, and not just those, but situations in their own household. Why is life in my household so difficult? Why is life for my group so difficult? Not just the Black Lives Matter group, but any group, conservatives, liberals, gays, straights, women who feel oppressed in the workplace and did for years, men. I mean, it, it, just, it, it, it just doesn't end. But, but so we're searching for answers. And the answers that we have found, sadly, are somebody must be at fault. Somebody right. must be at fault. If it wasn't for them, whoever they are, if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be having it as bad as we are having it. That's the answer to your question, as yes. I see it. Why well, you, it, you, re, you remind me, Neil, of a, a famous quote from uh, Buckminster Fuller. And if he said, he said, if we'd spend less money on weaponry and more on livingry, and you probably remember that. I know you remember him. Um, imagine the world problems we could solve, 
right? And it isn't a matter of just money at this point. It's a matter of consciousness shift. It's a matter of spiritual shift. And, you know, Einstein said, and you put it in your book, he says, we cannot solve our problem with the same level of thinking that created them. And you state the problem facing humanity today is a spiritual problem, and it can only be solved by a spiritual means. How would Neil Donald Walsh go about transforming the beliefs that people are carrying around that cause this spiritual problem and that many of our other problems as not only individuals, but as you just correctly did in 37 sentences, you took it from the cosmos all the way out to the societal, a society, individual and societal problems. What would you, how would you comment on that? I would invite people to ask a question. Uh I would invite every pastor of every church, every rabbi, every ulama, every spiritual leader, every political leader, every mayor of every town, anyone who is in a position of influence. In the military, they call those COIs. I remember the Air Force, I remember the U.S. Air Force named me a COI about uh, 40 years ago. A COI is is a center of influence. Right. And And the Air Force was running around the country trying to find centers of influence in order to, you know, uh, generate more uh, more people enlisting in the Air Force, and and so they came to me and, and many other centers of influence. I would I would I would invite every human being to consider that they are a center of influence, and then I would invite them all to answer a single question. Here's the question that I would invite every mayor, every city councilman, every person on your block, and everybody in your household to answer. Here's the question. Is it possible, just possible, that there's something we don't fully understand here about God, about life, and about each other, the understanding of which would change everything? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is, well, of course, of course it's possible, then we embark on a dialogue, a concerted dialogue in every household, in every church, in every synagogue in every temple, in every place of worship, in every political gathering, we begin to engage a constructive dialogue. What is it? What do you think it could be that we don't fully understand about God, about life, and about each other, the understanding of which would change everything? And I would propose, I would put on the table for discussion, here's what we don't understand. We don't understand that there is no separation between us and what we call God or divinity, that there's no separation in life of anything in life from anything else. There are simply different manifestations of the same essence. Right. And I invite people, and here's what I say to people when I give this lecture. I say to them, hold up your hand. Put your hand in front of your face. Notice you have five fingers on your hand. Notice that each finger is separate and and different, but not separated from the hand itself. That e- That is, each finger is individual with a different look, a different function, but they are, no finger is in any way separated from the hand itself, nor is the hand separated from the body. And if we see everything in that same way, if we see all of life in the same way, then we suddenly come to a conclusion that we haven't reached before in any global sense. What I do for you, 
I do for me. What I well, failed is, to do for you, I failed to do for me. Right, and that is your separation theology that you talk about in the book. Now, How is it possible? How, one last question. How is it possible for 653 children to be children to be allowed to die on this planet of insufficient food every single hour? Why are we not rising up as a as a collective and saying, okay, okay, clearly there's something we don't understand. It's not our ability. We we have the ability to produce and distribute enough food for no one to have to starve to death. We simply don't have the will to do it because we think that they're over there and we're over here. It's us against them. When we eliminate the them in our thinking, we would never allow a child in any country of, of the world anywhere to die of insufficient food. Oh, my goodness. I mean, please. Well, I think that, uh, again, this is personal commentary, that there's a, a tremendous amount of apathy, and that the current uh, situation that we're dealing with, again, we said we'd talk about COVID, but I have a question for you, that it, that exacerbates it. I think people feel a bit overwhelmed, and I'm not giving excuses here or reasons, because there are no reasons if you're thinking from the mindset of not being separate. Uh, we are one. So you, when you're one, you, you shouldn't be thinking about reasons. Uh, you shouldn't be thinking about separation. You shouldn't be thinking that way. But you say the biggest misunderstanding of our species may be that. Are you there? Yeah, of course I am. Oh, okay. So I, something happened to my computer right in the middle. Maybe that we think that we know what we're doing here. And you say, so how do we explore and ultimately find our way and then do something about it? Well, most people don't know what they're doing, in my in my humble opinion. Forgive me, I didn't know for 50 years, so how would anybody else know? Right. That, is, that is the largest number of people on the planet have no idea what they're doing here because they really do think they are their body. They really do think, no, 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 when, you, when, it, when push comes to shove, when we have to force ourselves to answer the question, I think that I am my body. And I think that survival is the, is the fundamental instinct. And so I have to do whatever it takes to, to allow my body to survive. And, and, and so the, the challenge for us is to rearrange our thinking, to ask ourselves, what am I really doing here? What, mm -hmm. what am I doing? If I'm a spiritual entity, that's the question I asked a few minutes ago. If I'm a spiritual entity having a physical experience, why? What is the point? And most people have not answered that question. So I would suggest that the answer is this. This is what I was told in the Conversations with God dialogue. And this is my understanding and my belief on this day. We as spiritual entities have become physical in order to express an experience, to have a direct experience of our true identity, that we choose as spiritual entities to move from simply conceptualizing to functionalizing, that is, to move from simply knowing something to actually being something and experiencing it because we choose to experience our true identity. To bring that down into street language, I'm saying this. It's one thing to say, you know, I'm a loving person. 
I have a concept of myself. I am a loving person. But if I never have a chance in my entire life to love somebody, even to love a puppy or a little dog or to love anything at all, then I will not experience myself as loving. I simply have a, an idea about myself. But if I want to change that idea into direct experience, I will run around the planet looking for something to love, even if it's just a tulip in the backyard, much less another human being. And I will seek as well someone to love me, that I can experience myself as being loved. So what we're doing here is we are seeing, we're, we're seeing if there's a way that we can experience and express what we understand ourselves to be at the fundamental level of our existence. And I'm going to so, be sappy now. This is going to sound, this is going to sound really syrupy, but I'm going to say it anyway, even though it's going to have many people rolling their eyes. Who we are at the fundamental basis is love. I'm going to suggest that we are perfect love. Right. Or, if you please, an individuation of the divine. And we're mm -hmm. trying to experience that. And the reason we have such alienation between each other is that we think that it's the other person who's stopping us from having that experience. Well, let's talk about the finitude of life. Uh, you know, in, with COVID here, and we said we'd talk a bit about COVID, uh, you, again, you, to reiterate, you said the supreme irony that our determination to make survival our continual priority is what causes our survival to be continually threatened. Okay, I get that. Now, if you. I wonder how many other people do. I wonder how many other people get what you just get, that you just said that you get. Because you know what? That's a powerful statement. The irony of our idea that survival is the fundamental instinct is that it is exactly that thought which is threatening our survival. So now let's talk about finitude. I did an interview just recently on the lost art of dying. And I think it is the fact that the survival tendencies within our bio makeup says, okay, I'll do anything to survive. When the reality is that there's maybe only one belief, and I personally don't believe this, that you have one life or that this is it. You're, you're going to make it here and that's it. You're going to, you're going to pass on and, and you're not going to have any reincarnations or whatever. What even would, if that were true, even huh? if that were true, Greg, even if that were true, Greg, what's so bad about that? When it's over, it's over. You go to sleep and you don't wake up. Right. What's so bad about that? I don't really think there's anything bad, but I do believe that people have this connection with the pain and suffering associated with death. And that's where I'd like you to kind of clear it up because, you know, COVID's brought that to light big time. It's on the news every night. People are seeing it. People are dying. Uh, they're giving the numbers and, and so on. I, re I was reflecting with a friend the other day. I remember when my dad used to sit in the 60s, 70s in front of the TV and watch the numbers about the uh, Vietnam War, right? And, you know, now here we're every night you're hearing all the news about the COVID and it's always about the number of people have it and then the number of people that died. Um, and there's got to be... And yet huh? we can't convince people. And not Interestingly enough, having said all of that, would you think that there would be a difficulty in convincing people to simply put a mask on? 
There oh, is it. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, Neil. Oh no, Neil. Are you are you kidding me? Are you really suggesting that we should put a mask on to protect other people and maybe even protect ourselves? Oh my gosh. What's the matter with you, Neil? Oh goodness gracious. We should have the freedom to spread our germs wherever we want to and to keep ourselves as unprotected as we wish to. Let's let the pandemic continue and run its course, even though every medical expert in the world has said that wearing a mask, I'm using a simple example, can help to slow down and ultimately erase the pandemic. But no, Neil, it's a matter of personal freedom. We don't want to have our freedom impinged upon we don't mind having to drive a certain number of miles per hour. It says 25 miles per hour in a 25-mile-per-hour 20, zone because we realize that driving 70 miles per hour could endanger the lives of other people. But that's a different story because, wait a minute, why is that a different story? Maybe it's not a different story. Maybe you should drive 70 miles per hour in a 25-mile-per-hour zone. After all, that's personal freedom, isn't it? It is. No one has no one has answers to the kinds of questions that I ask. When I ask those questions in front of my lecture audiences, and I don't have them, of course, in person anymore, but online, when mm-hmm. I do an online event, and I pose the very question that I ask: If you are per- if you are in favor of personal freedom, why obey the speed limit? For that matter, why do anything that you think is for the better, better good of the larger number of people? Oh, oh, oh! But I get it. But don't, don't, don't put a mask on. Don't put a mask on, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it might help someone else or yourself, and and that's an impingement of my personal freedom. I shouldn't be told that I have to wear a mask. It's okay to be told that I have to drive 25 miles an hour, but I, it's okay to be told that I have to have a driver's license in order to drive a car. It's, you know, but, but don't tell me to put a mask on. It's that, it's that kind of lack of rational thinking. Are you kidding me? Are we really having to convince grown-up adults to take care of each other and of themselves? We are. Oh, uh, there goodness. is. There is. Now, you know. Look, there's. You're going to get. You're, you're going to get some email on this on this program. Oh, I know. Greg. That's fine. But you'd realize that these are beliefs that are creating the division, and you state. And it's interesting. Uh, I, I we used to talk about a belief becoming a knowing, right? Well, I'm not certain that people have this correlation between the belief about a mask or not a mask as to whether or not it's it's good for them or bad for them, right? We obviously, I'm sorry, they should say they have a strong belief one way or the other uh, as to their their rights, their justice, their justice that's being taken away. And yeah, we're going to get plenty of emails about this one. Well, but, well, why is it any different when you drive 25 miles an hour? Someone decides quite arbitrarily, Greg, it's really an arbitrary decision that on a certain roadway for these next 18 blocks, 25 miles per hour is the um, recommended speed of cars, not 30, not 35. And if you go 37, you can get a ticket and it can cost you a lot of money 
and right. it points on your driving record. Who makes those decisions? Or is it possible that in an advanced society, we collectively agree that there are certain precautions we can take and that it's okay. It's not killing it. It's, 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 it doesn't kill us to drive 25 miles per hour. It probably saves us from killing somebody else. It's not going to kill us to wear a mask either for a couple of months. I mean, come on, people. Put your big boy pants on and grow up. I, I agree. So what would you like to leave our listeners with to contemplate, meditate on, uh, as it relates to shifting their entire perspective about who and what they are, and in so shifting, what can manifest in their lives. Because you're, you're talking about the mask example. You can use any example you want, COVID, the mask, wearing the mask, not wearing the mask, to address this question. Because it really comes about in what you would like to manifest as a result of your actions. I'd, I'd like to see if we can't create a world in which we take care of each other, take care of ourselves, and put into functionality, that is, put into practice, a deep sense of our unity with all of life and if i dare say it on this program of our oneness with the divine i was asked in a lecture uh, a few months back before the covid thing struck somewhere in last september before we were uh, you know all locked out i was giving a lecture and somebody said can you explain to me how how you can imagine us to be you know one with god i said sure let me give you a, an, an analogy this will take about 20 seconds to roll out. The analogy is this. I was told that our relationship with God is the same, to use a metaphor, as the relationship of a wave to the ocean. The wave is not other than the ocean. It's not separate from the ocean. It never separates. It simply arises from the ocean, demonstrates itself in magnificent individuated form, and when its expression is complete, recedes back into the ocean. That's how waves in the middle of the ocean appear. But they're not separate from or other than the ocean. So too is it with you, that you arise from that which is divine, express divinity in your own individuated way, and when your particular expression is complete, you recede back into the divine to arise again on another day in another way. If we imagine that our particular lifetime is our singular only arising, that we have one lifetime, then okay, fair enough. If that's what you believe, that's what you believe. I have no need to convince you of otherwise. But even if that is true, why not make the best of it? Why not understand ourselves to be one with everyone else, to be one with each other? Let's take care of each other. Let's take care of ourselves. Let's And let's ask ourselves when we move into our experience of being human, <clears throat> let's ask ourselves, is this the best I can do? Just, is this really the best I can do? And if, well, if there was, we, a, a we are having yep. these we are having these dialogues, Neil, because we know that this isn't 
we're not doing the best that we can do. And the more that I have podcasts around these topics uh, and expose more and more people to varying thoughts and viewpoints, the more opportunities we have to shift people's thinking. As Einstein said, you can't change the problem from the old thinking in which you had. So I, I appreciate you. I appreciate the fact that we have people like you and hundreds and hundreds of you on the planet that are espousing the essential path, um, which is really about oneness and not separation and making the daring decision to be who you are. Um, for my listeners, we've been on with Neil Donald Walsh. The book is called The Essential Path. Neil, if you were to leave our listeners now with any words of wisdom or uh, some advice you would want to give them, what would you like to leave the listeners with as we go, as we part this podcast? What would you do tomorrow if you thought that everything that you do will be done with and for you? The golden rule. What would change, if anything, in your behavior if you treated others the way you would want to be treated? And by the way, that includes the way I have been speaking on this program. Because somebody might say, well, I certainly wouldn't use the tone of voice that you're using. But you know what? I do. I want When people think that, I'm, that my thinking is hurting me and not helping me, I want them to wake me up. Even if they have to raise their voice once in a while and say, Neil, put your big boy pants on. I appreciate those people as long as they're not physically abusive to me and as long as they do not continue to be verbally abusive. But is it okay once in a while to say, you know, as Jesus was said, he walked through the temple. Remember the story of Jesus in the temple. He made a whip out of a rope and tied knots in the rope. And he, he is reported to have said, swinging the rope to those vendors who had put their items for sale in the temple. You hypocrites, you vipers. And he drove them out of the temple. So for those who say that I shouldn't be talking the way I'm talking, tell that to Jesus in the temple. <laughs> Good point. Well, Neil, thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth. Thanks for addressing my listeners uh, with the wisdom. The book is The Essential Path. We'll have a link to Neil's website, uh, where you can learn more about him, which is one of them is just Neil, N-E-A-L-E, -E, Donald, D-O-N-A-L-D, -D, Walsh, altogether, W-A-L-S-H.com. No, 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 uh, not S-H, not W-A-L-S-C-H. S-C-H, sorry, it said that. Look at that, Dys dyslexic me. Uh, but you, you can certainly uh, Google him. We'll have the link to the right place for you to go. There you can learn more about CWG, which there's a place where you can connect there. Uh, it's Conversations with God, the global conversations, the free contents, the programs, the store. Uh, you'll also be able to buy this book on Amazon because we'll put a link to it there. Neil, again, pleasure having you on our podcast uh, for, a, for a first time. Boy, we've never had you on before had Ram Das on. Uh, I've had everybody on, but this is the first time you've been on in uh, 13 and a half years. So it's an honor to have you on. Well, it's been wonderful to be with you, Greg. I've enjoyed it immensely. And I hope I haven't destroyed your whole audience. 
rating system. You're going down the drain if you have me on again. I don't think so. I think people <laughs> who are listening to the show must have an open mind or they wouldn't be listening to stuff on spirituality, personal growth and wellness because they've got to want to, uh, they're seekers. Their seekers are looking for answers. So thank you all for listening. Donald, thank you. And, uh, and, and enjoy. I should say Neil, not Neil Donald. You know, when you have two first names, you can call the person Neil Donald. Do you ever get called that? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like calling George Bernard Shaw Bernard. Hey, Bernard. Exactly. exactly. George says, no, no, no. My name is George. George <laughs> Bernard Shaw. Sorry, or, Neil. Or Norman Vince, Norman <laughs> Vincent Peel. How you doing, Vince? No, no, no. Norman Vincent Peel. Yeah. Vincent is my middle name. Yeah, well, so, my name is yeah. Leonard Gregory Voison, and no one ever even knows my first real name is Leonard. So <laughs> Now I know. Now I know, Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being on. Thanks for having me, Leonard. Bye for now. <laughs>